Noah's flood devastated the world as God cleansed the earth from the wickedness that mankind had brought about on it. But what happened after the flood? Did we learn the lesson and what was God's plan for mankind after the flood? We are currently in a series called the Search for Truth 2 series as we go from Genesis to Revelation and getting a solid overview of the Bible and of what God is telling us through his written history. And if this is the first time we're meeting, my name is Chris and this is Foundation Bible Studies where I seek to help connect you with your creator and Jesus Christ, both informationally and experientially, so that way you can fulfill the purpose that God created you for. In our last lesson and video, we talked about Noah's flood or the great flood and the parallels that Jesus said would be in existence between the times of Noah and the times leading up to Jesus Christ's return many of which we can see with our own eyes and if it was something that you missed i will link to the video down below in the description but with that let's jump into this episode and this video's study so in previous videos we've talked about two previous dispensations or ages which the first one was the age or the dispensation of innocence or purity and within that dispensation we were looking at mankind's perfect creation especially with adam and eve before the condition or the nature of sin was within mankind through our human nature and biology once adam and eve rebelled and sinned against god we got into what was called the age or the dispensation of conscience and this is where our spirit, our supernatural nature, became disconnected from God. The nature or condition of sin was introduced into our humanity, into our body, our flesh, as it is called within the scriptures. And we had to learn to live by our conscience. Now, God continued to interact with mankind, but he was no longer directly influencing our nature and our being he now had to do it from an outside connection from there we seen the degradation and the moral downfall of mankind as cain became angry at his brother abel and he killed him even though god tried to warn cain about his anger and we seen just the societal degradation that continued on leading up to noah's flood or the great flood and so now we are in what is called the third dispensation or the third age or the age of human government. And what we begin to find here in this age, in this time period, is that God begins to give mankind laws to help mankind govern itself outside of that direct connection with and to God. But one of the things we see in the chart, if you're on the video, one of the things that we see is a repeat commandment because God had wiped off all of mankind that continued to rebel in wickedness against God. But we see a repeated commandment because off of the ark only came eight human individuals, which were married couples, Noah and his wife 
his three sons and their wives aside from all the animals. And the commandment we see God give to Noah and to his family is be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And this was the same commandment that God gave to Adam and Eve, the head or the leaders or the first humans of mankind. And so with the flood now behind us, God is telling the same thing to a new generation of mankind. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And as we get further into this video and lesson, we're going to see the significance of this commandment. Now, right off the ark, we get into what is called Noah's covenant. And this is where we see the first covenant that God creates with mankind. Now, covenants are agreements. They're solemn, relational agreements, much deeper than a contract is today. They are relational agreements between a God or a group of gods and a group of people, or they could be agreements between individuals or between tribes or between nations. If you're seeing the depiction you are seeing that they are making a sacrifice to God here. And this concept of sacrifice, as we can go back to Cain and Abel as the second ones to present sacrifices, God being the first one covering Adam and Eve with tunics of skin or tunics of animal hides, we see that there is this offering, this offering of thanksgiving, this offering of appreciation. And this offering is given by what they have to express their thanksgiving, what God has given. Now, when Noah got on the ark, or before Noah got on the ark, God told Noah, take seven of what were designated clean animals, and then take one pair or two animals of what were considered unclean animals under the old covenant. And so the clean versus the unclean were pretty much animals that were edible to the later Israelites and unclean animals were typically those that ran in the wild. And God gave very specific details on what animals were clean and unclean. And that has a very big impact on our understanding later on, especially when we get into the new covenant. But God makes a covenant with Noah and really with and through Noah to all mankind. And we find that in the ninth chapter of the book of Genesis. Now, before we get into the scripture itself, one thing to kind of break down here is that coming off the ark, mankind still had that nature, that condition of sin of natural rebellion against God. And so God has to give commandments and rules to help mankind govern itself in order not to degrade into the state that it was in before the flood. Another point is that because of this nature, this condition of sin, of error, of rebellion within our human nature, we would gradually and consistently give ourselves over to the influence of Satan or Lucifer, which is an absolute real being. 
once you encounter God for yourself, you will begin to know or understand or even consider how real the devil is. Because if you interact with God, then the being that he tells you about, tells us about that rebelled against him, must also be real. And so it is here that mankind is gradually influenced to continue to rebel against God as we're going to find out. But Jesus talks about this and actually Satan brings this up in his temptation of Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 5, it says this. So he, talking about Satan, so he took him up, talking about Jesus, so he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, I will give you their splendor and all this authority because it has been given over to me and I can give it to anyone I want. And so Satan, the devil, Lucifer, if you haven't seen my video breaking down the dragon, I will link it down below as well. Satan brings up this point that he has been given authority over the nations. And the Apostle Paul, inspired by God in writing to the Corinthian believers or the believers, the Christians in the city of Corinth at the time, in his second letter to the Corinthians, he acknowledges this, that Satan is the god of this world or the god of this age. And if you will watch my video talking about the dragon, you'll get a better breakdown of that better insight. But here, Satan, aka the devil, Lucifer, he tries to seduce Jesus Christ to submit to him just as Adam and Eve submitted to him. Now, prior to the flood, mankind in its original creation and iteration, mankind, like the animal kingdom, were meant to be herbivores. We were meant to be vegetarians. We weren't meant to eat flesh, meat. We were meant to be sustained from the things of the earth as our bodies were created from the earth. And you can look at that scientifically. All the minerals that our bodies are made of are found from earthly minerals and materials, iron, calcium, all these different things. After the flood was over, God gave mankind the right and the ability, not because that was what he wanted, but by kind of a passive will, he gave mankind the ability to eat meat. But with that, where mankind and animal kind used to have a sense of harmony, when you go back and you look at the scriptures, you look at Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and so on, up to the flood, now, God said that the fear of mankind would be on all the animal kingdom. Now, with the ability to eat meat, God gives a prohibition. And this goes for all of mankind, since all of mankind comes from Noah and his sons, which we're going to get into. In Genesis chapter 9, starting at verse 4, it says, However, you must not eat meat with its lifeblood in it. So we are not to eat, we're not supposed to eat meat with blood, whether Christians or any tribe of mankind, because this covenant that God makes 
with Noah and with Noah's sons is for all of their offspring. That goes all the way down to us because there were only four men that came off the ark and four women that came off the ark. And we all come from them by descendancy, by genetics and genealogy. Verse five says, I will require the life of every animal and every man for your life and your blood. So whatever animal or whatever person takes a human life, God says, I'm going to require that life as payment. Continuing on, it says, I will require the life of each man's brother for a man's life. So God institutes capital punishment, but we got to find out why. Whoever sheds man's blood, his blood will be shed by man. For God made man in his image. So whereas society says that we are just over-evolved animals and we are no more valuable than any of the other animals on the earth, God says, no, you are valuable because God created you. He created you in his image. He created you with similar capacities for love and for choice and and to have these different emotional experiences. And so God, he institutes capital punishment in order to stop violence. If people will be fearful of a consequence of having their own lives taken, then they won't seek to be so aggressive as to take another person's life in order to get rid of them. They will reconsider it many times in order not to have their own life taken. Now, in talking about the covenant that God made with Noah and his sons and with all of mankind, this first covenant that we find within the scriptures, as we jump down to verse 8, we find the contents of the covenant. It says, Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, Understand that I am confirming my covenant with you and your descendants after you. And every living creature that is with you, birds, livestock, and all wildlife of the earth that are with you, all the animals of the earth that came out of the ark, I will confirm my covenant with you, that never again will every creature be wiped out by the waters of a flood. There will never again be a flood to destroy the earth. And so God is telling Noah and his sons, he says, I'm not going to rewash the earth by means of a flood, the whole earth. We're not talking about flash floods and stuff like that. We're talking about this cataclysmic event that happened, which can be backed up scientifically. I will leave links down below if you want to see that breakdown from a scientific perspective. But God says, I am making this covenant with you, Noah and your sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth or Japheth, I say Japheth just because it's closer to the Hebrew. But he says, I'm making this covenant with you and your descendants. So God is holding us accountable. Now it is up to governmental and national leaders to hold us accountable to these things. But as we'll get into, mankind largely rejected God for its own will. Continuing on, however, it says, And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I am making between me and you, and every living creature with you, a covenant for all future generations. 
I have placed my bow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. So God puts the rainbow, he creates the rainbow, or at least uses it as a means of a reminder of the covenant between mankind and God. And we are meant to keep our side of the covenant. I will make a future video breaking down the significance of covenants in order so we can just keep pace. But God places the rainbow in the clouds as a reminder, as a sign between us and God. And so the Lord says, it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I form clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures. Water will never again become a flood to destroy every creature. The bow will be in the clouds and I will look at it and remember the everlasting covenant between me and all the living creatures on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have confirmed between me and every creature on earth. And so as you look at the chart, if you're watching on the video, you can kind of see in the top left corner, there is a depiction of the rainbow. And it is there to remind us of what God has done through the flood, why he did it. And if you go back and if you haven't seen the previous video, go check it out. But every ancient culture on earth has stories, has a history, has a story about the flood and why there was a worldwide flood. It wasn't a localized flood. Geology doesn't bear that out. It was a worldwide flood. Archaeology bears out that it was a worldwide flood. Now, in talking about the repopulation of the earth, we find that Noah had his three sons, Shem, Japheth, or Japheth, but Japheth, and Ham. And from these three men and their wives, the rest of the world was repopulated over time. So we are told that Shem, when you go back and you read through the scriptures, when you read through Genesis chapter 10, you find that Shem had five sons. Japheth or Japheth, he had seven sons and Ham had four sons. And it's from these three men that all the peoples of our world derive. Now, there is a video I wanted to share in order to kind of connect this scientifically, just so you don't think I'm just making stuff up. We won't watch the whole thing. But I will also link this down below as well. Evidence number one, mitochondrial Eve. Google mitochondrial Eve. You'll find out that the whole world, including the scientific world, thinks that all of the human beings on this planet come from one woman. But they say, but it's not Eve. Yes, yes, <laughs> we do have evidence that there's a single woman who gave rise to all the mitochondria on the planet. But don't think it's Eve. So they originally started calling her mitochondrial Eve, and later they decided to just call her the, the first, or the, they used a term for it, I can't think of it, but they they uh, they tried to get rid of it. Now they don't use that term anymore because it's so clear that there was only one way, only one woman could give rise to all of humanity, and that would be by literal Eve. 
And so, as I said, I will link that down below. But the point being is that we all descend from common ancestors, no matter what our ethnicity, cultural background, however culture has developed since the flood, there is scientific proof. There's genetic proof that we are all connected and we all descend from common ancestors. As I said, I will link that and even the full video down below if you want to watch the full thing. And so unfortunately, as mankind begins to multiply again, and as perhaps the events of the flood begin to wane in the background of our memories and experience, mankind starts to devolve yet again. And so we see here on the chart, on the pictorial representation, we see the man who is supposed to be Noah, and he is pointing to another man, which is supposed to be his son, one of his sons. And what happens is Noah, he becomes a vineyard keeper. He grows grapes. And he ends up producing wine and gets drunk off of the wine. And he ends up passing out naked in his tent. And we are told that Ham, which is the one that looks guilty if you can see it on the video, we're told that Ham walks in on his father's nakedness and something takes place that tends to be very wicked in order to justify what happens following Noah's awakening or coming out of his drunkenness. His other two sons, however, Shem and Japhet, they walk backwards into their father's tent with a blanket of sorts and they cover their father's nakedness. And when Noah finds out what Ham has done, we find that Noah places a curse not on Ham, but on Ham's son. And so we look at this and we see what Noah said happened or what, Noah, what Noah's response was to this whole event. Verse 24, when Noah awoke from his drinking, drinking, that's his own video, and learned what his youngest son had done to him. Some sources say that this was something very perverse. And there were no societal influences for him to even do this, except what lied within him from his sinful nature or from the societal influences before the flood. This is why you have to be careful of what you're watching, what you're listening to, what your kids are watching, what your kids are listening to, what they're learning in the education system, being intentional, talking to them, getting you and your family connected to a spirit-filled church that teaches all of God's word, that lives how God wants us to live, not by compulsion, but by encouragement to draw close to God. If you'll draw close to God, God will empower you to live the life he wants you and created you to live. But continuing on, verse 25, he said, Canaan will be cursed. He will be the lowest of slaves to his brothers. Canaan was the son of Ham. This is why you have to recognize what your struggles are, what the struggles are maybe perhaps within your family as a whole. Because if you will recognize that, don't be harsh on your children. I've learned this with my children. Don't be harsh. Be firm, but don't be harsh. If your children have the same struggle you do, don't enable it, 
Be firm, draw boundaries, and encourage them. Be honest with them. If you have the same struggle, you don't have to be graphic, but be like, hey, I know, I understand. I struggle with this as well, but with God's help, we can overcome it. That's why you have to be spirit-filled so God can empower you. The Apostle Paul, one of Jesus's ambassadors to the nations, the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans in chapter 8, and the 8th chapter of that letter, or what we know as chapter 8, Paul says, it is by God's spirit that we put our human, errant, rebellious desires in subjection to God's spirit. We subdue it. We subdue the desires. That's why you have to be spirit filled. But Canaan was already picking up on the struggles or on the vices, on the errant, rebellious, sinful desires of his dad. And his dad obviously was not impeding or helping his son. And so Noah could see those same tendencies, whatever they were, within his son, within Ham's son, Noah's grandson. Verse 26, he also said, Praise the Lord, the God of Shem. Canaan, and this is where we get the Canaanites from, if you get further into the biblical story, which God displaces the Canaanites with the Israelites because of all the debauchery they end up developing. Canaan will be his slave. God will extend Japheth, or Japheth, but Japheth. He will dwell in the tents of Shem. So what God is saying is, you know what? Japheth, he has some fear of God. And all the peoples that come from Japheth, they will gravitate towards the God of Shem. And the God of Shem will will be their God for those from Japheth that turn to the God of Shem. And Shem is where we get Abraham. Abraham is a descendant of Shem. Shem is actually where we get the word Semite from. So when we talk about anti-Semitism, it actually comes is designating descendants of Shem. Semite is either the Latinized or the Greek or aka Hellenized version of the word Shem because in Greek and in Latin, many Latin-based languages, there is no S-H sound to it. So many people, kind of a rabbit hole, when people say, we got to call Jesus by his Hebrew name, Yeshua, or whatever fictitious name they come up with, but Yeshua or Yehoshua, Yeshua, there was no S-H sound in the Greek language. That's why in the New Testament, his name is Jesus or Jesus because there was no S-H sound. Or in Spanish, it's Jesus because there's no S-H sound. There is the C-H sound like Jamara or something like that, but there is no S-H sound. So that's kind of a rabbit hole, but kind of help you to get an understanding. You don't have to call Jesus by his Hebrew name because not every language has the phonetics, the ability to call him by his Hebrew name properly. And God said to go to all nations. Peter, Paul, they preached to Greeks in Greek, not trying to turn a whole culture to speak Hebrew. That's not how God works. It's not how he works. He is God, we're going to get into this. Let's continue on. So there is curses and there is blessings that come on Abraham or Noah's descendants because 
of the things they embraced individually. So there are curses and there are blessings that divide Noah's family. And we see that, unfortunately, everybody didn't learn a lesson. But that is not where the story ends. Now, at this time, we have an individual family. They are able to all communicate with each other, meaning they all were able to speak the same language. And this gives place to what we come across next. We come across the beginning of what we now know as nations, just large swaths of land and large people groups. And we begin to find out where do the different languages come from. Now, if you're looking at the picture or the pictorial representation, we can see that there are different arrows on the map showing where the different descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japhet, or Japhet, where they ended up going. And this is where we all come from. But we also see that these arrows of direction or dispersion, they all stem from the infamous Tower of Babel or Babel. Now, when we talk about genealogy, ancestry.com, 23andMe, you can get a lot of information from those. But God lets us know, and science backs it up, that we all come from common ancestors, as I played that video earlier. So as we can see, Japheth or Japheth, he more so moves, his tribes begin to move towards the Europe area. Shem, his, some of his descendants stay there in the Middle Eastern and migrate towards the Asia area. And then Ham, he kind of stays in that land bridge between Asia, Europe, and Africa. But some of his descendants also migrate into the Africa area. But before they migrated, the descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, they all rebelled against God. Now, we've seen in a previous slide where God told the descendants of Noah, Noah's family and their descendants, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish or fill the earth. But that's not what they chose to do. They yet again chose to do their own thing. Specifically, Ham's offspring began to lead this rebellion. And in Genesis chapter 10, starting in verse 6, we read this. Ham's sons, Cush, Egypt, that's where Egypt comes from, or Mitzrayim in the Hebrew, Put, and Canaan, Cush's sons, Seba, Havila, Sabta, Ra'ama, and Sabteka, and Ra'ama's sons, Sheba, and Dedan. And so continuing on, this is going to make clear connections. Cush, one of Ham's offspring, fathered Nimrod. I don't know if you've ever heard about Nimrod. There's plenty you can find out. Some of it's true. Some of it's more mytho mythological. But this is where Nimrod comes from. Cush fathered Nimrod, who was the first powerful man on earth. He was a powerful hunter in the sight or before the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a powerful hunter in the sight of the Lord. His kingdom started with Babylon. And Babylon is another name for Babel. His kingdom started with Babylon. Erech, Akkad, 
and Kauna in the land of Shinar or Shinar, but Shinar. From that land, he went to Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ir, Kala, and Kala. Continuing on, going down to chapter 11, starting in verse 1, it says, At one time, the whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. As people migrated from the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, let us make oven-fired bricks. They used brick for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky or to the heavens in other translations. Let us make a name for ourselves. And here it is. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth directly in opposition to what God said. God said, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish or fill the earth. But instead, they said, let us make a tower and a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the earth. And so in response, we read this. The Lord came down to look over the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, if they have begun to do this as one people, all having the same language at this time, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So from there, the Lord scattered them. They didn't want to be scattered, but they didn't want to listen to God either. God wanted them to fill up the earth, replenish it, multiply, have offspring, fill up the earth. God has no limits. Mankind thinks there's limits, but God has no limits. Fill up the earth. So in their rebellion, yet again, God scatters them over the face of the whole earth. Verse 8. And they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name is called, in other translations, it says it is called Babel. Babylon is more of the Greek Hellenized version of the name Babel. Therefore, it is called Babylon. For there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. And from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the earth. And so because mankind did not want to listen to God, and they continue to rebel because of their sinful nature, God said, okay, I'm going to have to force my hand again. And he comes down and he confuses the languages. And this is where the different languages originate. Because if you have naturally from a more evolutionary perspective, then we should all still have the same language unless we evolved from different sources. But yet again, as I said, I will link resources down below. And so here we can deduce, we can take away that those who spoke the same or similar languages grouped together because they could understand one another and they begin to migrate and move where God directed them to. And this is called the dispersion at Babel. Now, interestingly, there is a similar but opposite incident that happens in the book of Acts, in Acts chapters 1 and 2. Whereas here, God confuses the languages. In Acts chapter 2, 
as Jesus' disciples are now filled with his supernatural presence, the Holy Spirit, they begin to speak in languages that these that their audience, who were Jews that had come from different nations of the world back to Jerusalem, they began to speak in the home country languages of these Jews. And these Jews were astounded and were asking what was going on. And they actually say, because we hear them in our own languages, talking about the wonderful works of God. Now, Jesus' disciples, they were from the land or from the province of Judea, a Roman province or under Roman control at the time. And so God supernaturally, just as he supernaturally confused the languages, he now was reversing it, trying to draw all people back to himself from every nation, every ethnicity, every language. And it was meant as a supernatural sign to get the attention and still is used as a supernatural sign to get the attention of people that are willing to listen. Unfortunately, there were also mockers who thought that the disciples of the Lord were drunk. But Peter stands up with the other 11 apostles or ambassadors of the Lord, and he begins to proclaim the message of God's kingdom and what the significance of them speaking in these other languages or speaking in other tongues as it is otherwise stated. And the apostle Peter says, he tells them that God wants all people to turn, to repent, to turn from sin and to turn to the Lord Jesus and to be baptized in his name and that they would receive the promise of the Holy Spirit with the same evidence that they just witnessed, the same sign, the same miraculous sign that the crowd had just witnessed. Now, if you're unfamiliar with speaking in tongues, make sure you check back for my video coming out on that as I will have both a in-depth study as well as kind of a quick breakdown of it. But perhaps like the Jews that were coming from all those countries, Perhaps you need to turn to God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind to repent, to turn from sin, to forsake sin, to understand what sin is and to turn to give it up. If you're watching on the video, I want you to check out this video right here. And if not, I will link it down below the video of repentance. And in the next video, we're going to get to know the man Abram or Abraham. And until then, God bless you in Jesus name.